people smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Be People Smart podcast. I am Jodie Greer, I'm your host and I'm the founder of Be People Smart and I'm here today to bust some more myths. I'm very excited because I'm joined by another wonderful guest speaker. We have with us today Kim Fraser and I'm going to ask Kim to give us an intro to herself. Hi Jodie, thank you so much for having me. I So I was diagnosed with dyspraxia at a very young age but I never, I never really knew what it was until kind of my mid-teens. I was very much, I knew what my condition was, but you, you don't question that things as a child, I don't think. And it's only as you grow up that you, you kind of go, wait a second, not everybody's like me. So let's see, let's see what's happening. But that was a tough road. I didn't always accept who I was. I certainly, at school, tried to hide who I was in many, many, many different ways, 99% of which were very unsuccessful because, yeah, you could almost put a sign on my head saying, no memory here. (laughs) So we will come, actually, to explaining a bit more about what dyspraxia is and definitely want to talk about your school days, Kim. Um, before I move on, though, and also share what myths we're going to be busting, um, do you want to share with our listeners what you do on a professional basis? Yeah. So at the moment, I am a writer. I am currently sitting surrounded by notes for my first book. Excellent. Which it's kind of slowly dawning on me because I kind of I've always wanted to write, always wanted to write professionally, always wanted to write books. And then, it, but it's kind of a romanticized view. And then you start actually sitting down and writing. And as I said, so I've I've got approximately surrounded by a few dozen notebooks in in no particular <laughs> order. You know, it's it's not a neat pile of this goes first, then we move on to here, then we move on to this point. Oh no, you ask me for X, Y, and Z point from chapter three. I'm raking through it all but thankfully we haven't got to the actual writing yet we're still in the planning stages it's so funny how people's minds work because literally everything for me is like straight lines and organization and alphabetical order and I'd come out in hives (laughs) trying to work like that well it's so I I am very much a list person I for years and years and years kept diaries I I was never particularly organized, but then I landed up in an organization which helps people with brain injuries. And one of the first things they did was give me a diary. I said, I'll, I won't use that. And, but I, I did. And I eventually got into the habit of writing everything down. Did this for about, my goodness, 10 years, 15 years. But then I lost one of my diaries for a period of about three weeks. And that was enough to jog me out of the habit so now I'm back to notes here there and everywhere but I've had all through it works somehow (laughs) as long as it works that's what's important so talking about what works myth busting works so the main myths that Kim and I are going to be busting today are that learning disabilities reduce intelligence and 
if you're employing disabled people, then you are people smart. So we'll come on to that as well. So first of all, because you've already mentioned it, Kim, I want to talk about dyspraxia because there will be a lot of people listening that don't understand what that is Mm -hmm. and they won't really understand the impacts and so on. So first, maybe obvious question now, but what's dyspraxia? So I always, when I'm describing dyspraxia to people, it maybe sounds very glib, but I always describe it as rubbish coordination with the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> is, but for me, it's organisation is a huge one. Personal organisation day to day. I Routines keep me right, but sticking to said routines is next to impossible it's it's very much a case of repetition 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 but then if kind of one day someone goes from step one to step three without step two I forget the whole thing yeah and it's it's very difficult to explain to people you know I just told you this an hour ago. How can you have forgotten? But that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, you said you were diagnosed at a really young age, so I would like to talk about your schooling. But just before we do, to make sure um, I get this questioning, because I, I, I really want to know as well, um, what kind of accessibility barriers do you tend to encounter? Job application forms is a huge one. Interviews, accommodations for interviews is another massive one. I found they were next to non-existent even when you requested them. I So before I joined LinkedIn, I I was kind of a bit ignorant. I, I knew LinkedIn existed, but that was, that was kind of the beginning and the end. So I just kind of, for months and months, I stuck to the application forms, the sending CVs, But so many application forms are either, you I don't know, you may have noticed this yourself, but they will have four questions within a question. Or they will ask a question in such a way that they try to make it sound fancy rather than, for instance, can you switch on a laptop? It will be, can can you operate X operating system with X, Y, and Z? You know, when they don't have to. And for certain people, if if you're neurodiverse or if you're anxious or if, like, most neurodivergent people, you're, you have neurodiversity and anxiety, because I think most of us do, that is enough to put you off. Yeah. And, you know, plain language helps everyone. And I think often we we find, and I see this a lot in big business, often we find people trying to use what they think is like smart language and big words and convoluted sentences. And actually, it doesn't benefit anybody. It it doesn't. Absolutely doesn't. Because I think I, my my sister once said to me, so her job I have no desire to do what job she does but she said there are so many guys in our office that use words that they genuinely don't know what they mean and they said you do but because I have this disability people lots of people are guilty of they will see the disability they won't see you or they will see the intelligence 
and can't possibly comprehend that you have a disability as well, which it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I completely empathise with that. So I said I wanted to talk about school, and I really do. I mean, I've got a big thing, and I probably told you this when we've spoken before, but I really want to start this whole education about disability inclusion and accessibility at school. For yes, me, I think that's yes. essential. Yeah, absolutely. So going to your own school days, I know, you know, obviously we've spoken and I know that you had some challenges for want of a much more appropriate term. Yeah. <laughs> um. So tell us about your school days, Kim. Okay. So if we start, if we start at the beginning, so where, where I went to primary school, I was the kids I grew up with and I, I was just Kimberly because they'd grown up with me. They didn't know anything different. You know, my memory was just, you know, they kind of accepted if you want Kimberly to go somewhere, you need to grab her because she won't know where she's going kind of style. Or, you know, they accepted that they had to tell me the same thing over and over or show me the same thing over and over. And it was just normal. But then we moved schools when I was... 11 just when I just when I was going into my teenage years and that's when the fun started so I did two years at the new primary school with a bit of teething issues but wasn't a little bit of bullying but wasn't too 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 bad but then secondary school happened and so for I don't know how familiar you are with dyspraxia, but for someone with memory problems and directional issues, that huge transition from primary to secondary was massive, absolutely massive. But that was then compounded. So for some reason, which will evade me forever, the teacher decided to tell the class about my disability without my knowledge consent or permission so I was now I always say I was sent to run an errand that isn't true it's true in part I was sent to the canteen to go outside and feed birds now that was at 12 years old Jodie so you know we're we're condescending you to begin with but I was brought up you respect teachers I I didn't question it well the reason for this was the teacher would then proceed to stand up and tell a class of teenagers that I had brain damage. It still blows my mind. Yeah, still blows my mind. Yeah, it's... The thing is, you understand that there was less awareness back then, but in what world is that acceptable to do that to a child? And what was the outcome? I mean, how did people react? Because I know you didn't have the best time at school. No. So I I was called unspeakable names daily. I was tripped up, thrown downstairs. I So the kids cottoned on very quickly that I couldn't remember, that I forgot things instantly. So I would have my bag stolen, my folders moved, my work taken off the desk and put somewhere else. They would tell me I was sitting somewhere 
where I wasn't sitting. They would direct me to the wrong class. And, you know, once or twice, it's horrible, but you could brush it off. But this was a daily occurrence for nearly five years. And it was horrific. It was. And it's that's why now I am so passionate about saying, you know what? We aren't the problem. You know, yes, we have these issues, but we are categorically not the problem. It is the system that's failing people, not the other way around. No, definitely. And, you know, when it comes to bullying at school, it's never okay. And of course, for a child, that's really, you know, I mean, it's a horrific experience, but it's really challenging because what do you do about it? Did you tell anyone? I did. But it was so their way of dealing with the problem. I thought, right, okay, the perpetrators or whatever will be pulled in, told not to do it again, whatever. No, that wasn't their way of dealing with it. So their way of dealing with it was for me to be kept in at lunch times and break times. This happened for over two years. So it's like you got punished for being bullied. Yep. Yeah. And then when I eventually that stopped happening, they then kind of attached me onto it. So they had something called the pupil listening service, which was a bit, you know, it, it, it was good for what it was. It was almost like a pupil mentoring, like the sixth years and the fifth years would kind of host this thing every lunchtime where we could go and talk to them. Oh, okay. So, which actually I, but, but for me, that was a safe space. I would just kind of take my book and sit in the corner of the room. And eventually, eventually, I think it took about six months, but I eventually started chatting to them. And did it help? Not really, because the, again, their their fellow pupils they can't actually do anything. It's it's the school, it's the system, and from what I've heard, you know, the same problems still happen. And I'm kind of sitting with my head in my hands, going, "We have so much more knowledge now than we did back then. Mm. Why is it still why is it still going on?" You know. So I mean, obviously, we we know more, we understand more, and hindsight's a wonderful thing. If you could give some advice to like head teachers, to parents, to teachers, is there some some sort of core messaging, or maybe to children, like maybe to the bullies? What would you like to tell them? I think for teachers, parents, put the child in charge. Now you may think that you know your child maybe isn't brave enough, doesn't understand enough. They need more help because we do need more practical help as children than children who aren't neurodiverse. But we have enough intelligence to know what's going on. So don't kind of exclude us from the conversation. I had so many teachers who would kind of almost tell me they knew what was best for me and I'm sitting there thinking that's not right and it's and and it's a shame because there are so many teachers I think in schools even now you're intelligent or you're disabled you're intelligent or you're disabled there's no there's no meeting of both you can't possibly be intelligent and disabled and I yeah that that still blows my mind (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think those teenage years at school are always challenging for everyone anyway, because it's that impressionable age, it's that transition from am I a child, am I a young adult, can someone yeah. decide what, which which camp I sit in? Um, and it is always difficult. But of course, if you're having extra barriers thrown at you. Yes. Yeah, I, I can only imagine how tough that is. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think. It's it boils down to, I think, listening to people who are neurodiverse themselves. Like I get, you know, the past 10, 20 years, we've come so far in our understanding of neurodiversity, what it means, which is amazing. But I still hear horror stories of neurodivergent kids, you know, going going to hell and back at school because teachers just don't listen and don't understand and it's and it's a shame because it does it does cause serious problems what do you think would have helped you at school I well for a, for a start they wouldn't have said anything because I'm I'm fortunate in that my disability unless I'm in certain situations you can't really tell which Sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's a curse. But at school, when you're surrounded by kids, it's the latter. And I, but I think had they given me credit for intelligence, they, a lot of people think that neurodiverse kids don't understand their condition. And a lot of them have more, in my experience, have more understanding about it than most adults. Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. And I'm just wondering, because you're also trying to understand yourself, particularly at that age, would it would it have been helpful to you? And I know you can only talk about your own experience, but would it have been helpful to you if you had maybe some sort of, um, I don't know, mentor or coach? I don't really know what term I'm trying to think of, but someone you could literally ask all your questions to. Uh, absolutely. I think... There's too much of this lumping all disability into one basket. There's, you know, I have said to people before that I have dyspraxia. Oh, so you can't read. (laughs) And I'm going, no, that's dyslexia. But unfortunately, it's it's very common. You know, you will you will hear the everyone has autism nowadays, which is a horrific statement because it's, you know, people who have suffered for years are now you know, getting more awareness, which is amazing. It's not a bad thing. It's, yeah, it's it's difficult because you don't want to be, you don't want to seem like you're being condescending. But at the same time, you know, there are failures that need to be addressed. Yeah, and I mean, I doubt we've got many younger people listening to our podcast, I've got to be honest. Um, We might have, so apologies if you're younger and you're listening. But if we do, if someone was in a similar position to you and they're still at school, is there any advice you could give them that you think may help them to, you know, come out on the other side or, you know, get themselves into a healthier position sooner? Yeah, I think prioritise your mental health above everything don't don't allow the bullies to get to you and that coming from anybody 
you're going to be saying, no, 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 you don't know what it's like. I do. I know it's tough. I know you just want to run away, hide, scream, shout, but it does get better. I promise you've just got to hang in there and just don't worry what anyone thinks. So if you had a time machine and you could tell 13-year-old Kimberly, is that what you would tell her? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for that. So obviously you went through school and it was, I mean, I've got to be honest, it sounds quite traumatic because I was quite fortunate in my my school days. So yeah, I can only empathise to be fair. Um, And then you head out to the world of work. Now you mentioned earlier that even, you know, recruitment and interviews and so on, um, not having enough support. So, I mean, even starting with, you, you were talking about, you know, trying to pull all the pieces together, particularly, and again, this sort of impressionable age at school leaver, um, even support with things like putting a CV together. So for anyone listening outside of the UK, uh, that's a resume. Um, did, did that just come quite naturally? Did you have help with that stuff? It definitely didn't come naturally. So I as I said, left school at 16 for no other reason than I was just desperate to get away from school and went to college, which wasn't a resounding success. But then I came out the other end and I went to the job centre and they basically said, I don't know why you're here. You're, You're not ready. Because as you said, I didn't have a clue how to write a CV, how to apply for jobs, where to look. None of that. So I, and I will always be eternally grateful, I landed up at a place called Momentum, Momentum Pathways. And they're now, I don't think Momentum Pathways exists anymore, but they're part of the Headway charity. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah, I have actually. And their Momentum was the employment arm of, so they basically taught you how to write a CV. They taught you how to write cover letters. They well, they gave you mock interviews. They showed you how to search for jobs. And I haven't found anything before or since that does that for neurodiverse people. And I think we don't have it in Aberdeen anymore. And I think it's a shame. I think every town should have that kind of organisation because it changed my life. It did. Yeah. It, I like. We should we should have that for people full stop. I mean, I know some people might benefit from it even more, but you know, it, it's really tough out there. If you haven't got a job, and of course we've all got bills to pay, and particularly if you're young, because it's not necessarily just about bills, but it's about trying to develop yourself and find your way in the world. I mean, yeah. everybody needs help sometimes. Yeah, I I think the job center does a fantastic job, but there needs to be more there needs to be a more hands-on approach because there are you know kids who maybe don't know where to start with writing a cv i certainly at 16 wouldn't have had a clue i certainly wouldn't have you know this is how you apply for a job this is how you do this i was when i went to momentum i was 19 and i prior to that i wouldn't have had a clue the the job centre said to me, I don't know why you're here. You're not ready. And that's stuck in my head. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I, start, I just find that so bizarre because 
uh, people outside the UK might not really understand what the job centre is, but effectively it's a government led program, right? It's, I don't know how else to define it. Yeah, you, you, yes, you, you would have thought that they would have had the appropriate knowledge. You, but no. Also, the support (laughs) function, because people out of work report to the job centre. And, you know, I just find it really strange because if there are skills that just, you know, they're not something that you've developed yet. And, you know, for instance, you might be very good hands on, you might be very good for instance, on a reception desk. I don't know. I'm just making some examples. But maybe literally preparing that initial CV is not your forte. It's just not a skill that you're going to really excel at. I'm just genuinely shocked they don't have help there for that. No, well, but this is the thing. They do, unless you're neurodiverse, which I think, yeah. I I think the quote we got, and as I said, this this was when I was 16, so it's probably changed. But the quote we got was, we can't help you. And that just, yeah, we, I was shocked, was I'm very honestly shocked. honestly hopeful that things have moved on because, of course, you know, things develop and organisations change and they get a bit more human uh, in their ways of working. So I'd like to think that it's better now. And I know that the DWP, so the Department for Work and Pensions, um, they've obviously got the Disability Confidence Scheme. And there's a very mixed bag of opinion on the Disability Confidence Scheme, but it is there and the intention is good. So that's linked to, you know, the Job Centre. We used to have a two-tick scheme, which was very much Job Centre-specific. So I'd like to think that they're a lot more forward-thinking now, a lot more people-thinking but I don't know. I I think the intention is there, but in terms of I when I used to apply for jobs, I used to look for the two tick. But there's a lot of places who, you know, they like having the verification because let's be honest, it looks good. But the amount of organizations I have come across who are clueless and I don't think you can blame an individual for that I don't even think in some cases you can't even blame a manager or but it's an organizational thing you know who in this organization is responsible for making sure that you get disabled people in the door that you can be accessible to disabled people that neurodivergent people do do understand your application, your interviews, this will happen, this will happen. Because I don't think it's common, and it should be. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I just, I, there's, there's such a challenge anyway, you know, finding work, getting into a new job, understanding a new company culture, all of that stuff. So making that recruitment process even harder, it yeah it's just it's such a kind of backwards um way of going forwards it's very strange it really is and on the disability competence scheme (laughs) so I've been quite open about my views on the scheme um I think it's too easy to achieve and I think that you can have a nice badge of honor and not necessarily walk the walk and 
it's kind of embarrassing to my mind if you're an organization who wears the badge and you don't actually live it but I know it happens so on that because I know we spoke about it before part of our disability confidence scheme here in the UK is a government scheme um, and organizations can sign up to it and there's different levels now part of that scheme is what they call a guaranteed interview scheme and the idea behind that is that if you are share the fact you're disabled and you meet the minimum criteria for the role you will be interviewed that's the crux of it so I know that you have your own concerns with the genuine nature of those interviews <laughs> yeah definitely so I I can appreciate the value of it I can appreciate the value of the guaranteed interview scheme if it is genuine but in a lot of cases I think to be blunt a lot of companies use it to boost their own kudos and their own reputation without giving any thought to the person on the other end so I interviewed for the same company three times for the same position three times the first time I was unsuccessful but I asked for feedback so that was okay and I noted down all the points had a second interview which was again unsuccessful and but again I asked for points you may be asking Kim why on earth did you apply a third time but this was somewhere I it was a university and I despite my rocky relationship with learning I I love the thought of being in an educational institution and I don't ask me why I don't know so then the third interview came along so I went in with my note cards with all my points that I wanted to make everything that they said I'd missed right I wasn't going to miss it this time I had everything written down everything there right okay had it in a little order and everything I'm that much of a geek <laughs> and then got the you were unsuccessful. I was absolutely gutted, as you can imagine, because I thought, you know, third time lucky. wasn't to be. I asked for feedback. Your interview was perfect. Excuse me? Your interview was perfect. I, I actually phoned them and said, well, if my interview was perfect, why, why am I not getting the job? Oh, well, struggled to give me an answer. They kind of went off, went off on tangents explaining, well, we had a lot of candidates, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, you, you said to me my interview was perfect. Come on, tell me. Big statement. Yeah. To be met with the doozy, if we were hiding on personality, the job would be yours. What That's, not that a compl- <laughs> That's not a compliment. What does that even mean? I took that to mean if we were hiding on personality, but we don't feel you're, I don't know, intelligent enough or because it, it was a it was a library in a university. Strange, because obviously, you know, at your interview, part of what shone was evidently your personality, which is nice. Don't get me wrong. But to have a perfect interview, you've obviously scored really highly on any questions that they asked you. So that means you, for want of a better term, ticked all their boxes. Yeah. 
but it still wasn't. So they took someone who ticked the other boxes but wasn't a very nice person. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, because, I mean, so when, when I finished that first interview, and this th- this is when I was so excited because so they sent me to have a look round. And of course, in my own head, I'm thinking they're sending me to have a look round. I've got it. Because because why why would you do it otherwise? So in that feedback phone call, I said to them, Look, why if I hadn't been successful, why if I hadn't been the successful candidate, would you have done that? And they said, Because we thought you would enjoy it. Because I told them about my disability and I'm going, and I'd been going, you know, oh, I love books, et cetera, et cetera. You would hope anyone who was applying to a job that was anything to do with learning would love books, you know? Especially in a library. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to laugh at these things because, I, I don't know, I, I should be more shocked, but I hear so many painful stories, particularly around recruitment, that... I'm just not, and I want to be shocked, Kim. I really yeah. want to be. <laughs> no, I, I kind of, I, I came out with that, and and me stupidly when she said, if we were employing on personality, the job would be yours. I, in my naivety, I thought it was a compliment, and I and I, and I said that to one of my friends, and the look she gave me, I went, what? I don't understand, and she said, that's not complimentary. I. I genuinely to begin with but then when I thought about it I went if we were employing on personality that means you have the personality but not the skill you know I think we can't have a perfect interview yeah I know that 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 haunted me for months believe me (laughs) oh no I can appreciate that that I mean it is very strange and it kind of comes back a bit you mentioned managers earlier and for me I often lump particularly with recruitment I kind of lump line managers and recruitment teams together purely because they tend to be the decision makers depending on how the process works and I haven't yet found a single organization who provide mandatory training certainly to their line managers But even to their recruitment teams, and when I say mandatory training, I don't mean about to do your job. I mean to do your job with people. And I haven't found anywhere where they actually educate people on how to engage with other people. And, of course, part of that engagement means inclusion. It means accessibility. But it means literally valuing the differences. Because we all know, we talk about diversity all the time, we all know that the biggest value and the most creativity and innovation and, you know, all of that stuff comes from diversity of thought and so on. And so you need to value differences. If you always want to recruit someone like you, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to come to a big sort of stump that you, you just, you know, you, you haven't got the skills and the, the the sort of mind thinking between you. And I just haven't ever found people training. But I, I think, and this might sound a bit strange, but I think when people see that disability or you disclose that you have a disability, a lot of people kind of almost forget that you're a person. It's, you know, people who have physical disabilities, unfortunately, get that discrimination from some people as soon as they see you, which is horrible. But people with disabilities like mine, 
the more common one is you can't be disabled. And I don't know whether to laugh or cry at that statement. I hear it so many times from so many people. Like if you don't use a wheelchair or a guide dog or maybe a white cane, you cannot have a disability. And, you know, I know this is all statistics, but with around 80% plus of disabilities being hidden, we need to get people educated. And that's kind of why I was going on about line managers and recruitment personnel, because the reality is it's understanding all of that stuff. But a big part for me is understanding the value that disabled people bring to an organisation. Yeah, I I think this is it, because I think a lot of companies are guilty of you employ a disabled person, that's where your job ends. And it's like, well, no, you know, a disabled person doesn't suddenly become disabled because they've been in a role for two years, five years, 10 years plus. They still need that support. But I think there's a lack of communication between managers. There is a lack of communication at different levels of the organisation. And there are people who simply can't comprehend that because you may have been in a role for X number of years, you can't still be having problems. Well, yes, I can because I have a disability. Yeah, and I think this this goes back to our myths, right? Because I think you've already proved the fact that a learning disability doesn't (laughs) mean intelligence or not, right? But the other one, of course is about employing a disabled person makes you makes your organization people smart because of course there's so much more to it even if you do get disabled people in the door they need to have the tools and resources and so on to actually develop and be able to you know fulfill their role and actually reach their potential but but i, I think this is what a lot of organizations miss they think because say we employ 100 people, 40 of those are disabled, just pulling it on but out there. Oh, they, they must be inclusive. But do those employees have, you know, tailored accommodations? Are they getting regular check-ins with their manager? Are they be, being checked to make sure, well, actually, you know, they're not struggling and just hiding it? And it's... It's shocking, actually, when you actually read. I've read about so many disabled people who've had very similar struggles to myself, which suggests that there's a very deep-rooted problem somewhere in either understanding implementation or both. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I just... There's a lot that needs to be done. And I think people like you sharing their story, and I've probably said this to a lot of my guest speakers, but it's always very genuine and really true, is I hope that you help shift that needle because, you know, anyone within any organisation, particularly if you are, you know, recruitment, a line manager or someone in an influential position, you can make a difference by getting people to sit up and take notice and to recognise the value of true diversity because often like people say diversity and disability didn't even hit the agenda yeah I think I think the reason a lot of that happens you know disability to a lot of people is a very scary word you know and it's it needn't be 
I I don't understand why there's still that not even I wouldn't even use the word stigma I would use the word mystery and it's like you know we are people like you the only difference being you know we come from a slightly different operating system <laughs> yeah, like that the operating system I think I'm gonna steal that for something because I no because I think so for for myself personally my my disability means varying things but mostly for me it's memory problems which just means I need to repeat things over and over and over and eventually I get it but which then means if you put me in a role you know it doesn't mean that I'm incapable it doesn't mean that I don't understand because I do all it means is it may just take me a little longer before things click but I I think because organizations you know they perhaps haven't heard of dyspraxia or you know they read it and because there there are a lot of dyspraxia symptoms that don't apply to me personally and they may read it and go or my favorite dyspraxia only affects young white boys really I've never heard that one Mm, I have unfortunately (laughs) That's, that's random it is random it is random and it's but but the thing is again it's the whole thing of it's still seen largely as something you grow out of and all I can say to that is I wish it's your operating system yep exactly you keep your operating system <laughs> it's not an operating system that can be replaced no <laughs> no I like I like that I'm gonna use that term um you obviously you talked about quite a lot and you've shared a lot about yourself so thank you for that and I've still got to give you my special question that you probably know what it is but my first question before we go to that is because you've shared a lot and you've talked obviously about education you've also talked about the workplace what would you really love people to take away from this episode today I I just want people to kind of take away that you know you may have you know, understandable perhaps preconceptions around what neurodiverse people can and can't achieve. But just bear in mind that we're people, we're not a condition. You know, if you remember that and talk to us, you know, not thinking about our condition, thinking about us, you know, we're exactly the same as you. We we do understand, even though it may take us a minute to get there, because sometimes it does take me a minute to get there. But we we do understand and we are capable. And I think that capability, I mean, it's evident with you, but that capability is is such an important element for people to recognise. And just because of the myths we're busting and because it's obviously you I'm speaking to, it's kind of comical that, you know, we're talking about learning disabilities and you're writing a book, Kim. <laughs> so that's no... I, I'm in the planning stages. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? I think that even that just helps people kind of register the fact that some of their misconceptions are like, oh, oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Because I've got to be honest, the thought of writing a book, an actual whole book for like adults to read, because it's more words than for children. (laughs) um, I, I think that's quite daunting for me. And I'm actually in theory neurotypical, apparently. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big task. I mean, Right now, I won't lie. The thoughts bringing me out in hives. I mean, I'm I'm currently, 
you know, I have notes here, there and everywhere and I'm having, you know, daily meltdowns. Can I do this? I'm not good enough to do this. It's Im- Im- impost- imposter syndrome, you know, revved up to the max. But I've always, I've always wanted to do it. And it's been one of those things that I've been told from, I've been told from a young age that I should write a book about my experience. And like, eventually, you know, this will be, God willing, an actual book in people's hands, but it's pulling together I mean, what we've talked about today has only been scraping the surface. So it's kind of pulling together all the pieces and, yeah, my name's going to be on an actual book. And right now my my head is, like, delighted. But, you know, I've kind of got to know the practical. You've actually got to sit down and plan. And you've actually got to write it down. <laughs> That's quite exciting, though. Exciting and terrifying in equal measure, but, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll definitely all be looking out for when you share it's published on uh, LinkedIn so we can all have a read. (laughs) My big question, my favourite question, just because, of course, I'm a Harry Potter head and because I get some of the most amazing answers and it's so varied, is I'm going to give you my magic wand now, Kim, and it's magic so there's no limitations and you can make a change in the world to make it more inclusive or more accessible. What are you going to do? I would install mandatory disability awareness in every school, disability and neurodiversity awareness in every single school on this planet. That that would be the dream. Do you know, one of my dreams is that you get that magic wand. <laughs> Mine too. I, I, I want to be able to give you that magic wand. Unfortunately, I can't, but I absolutely want to see this happen in schools. So, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see some traction as time moves on, not too long, um, so we can actually see this become a reality. Now, Kim, I think, you know, you've been so open with us, and I think there's a lot of people that aren't only going to resonate with your sort of experiences, but also you can teach people a lot. So how do they connect with you to learn more and have a chat? (laughs) So I I am on LinkedIn. If you look for me just under Kimberly Fraser, and I believe the first line does say disability advocate. If you look for if you look for the curly blonde hair, you can't mistake it. Excellent. And I can share the link as well with the episode so that people can find you. Thank you very much, Jodie. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's always nice to chat with you, Kim, but I think it's so important that other people get to learn from lived experiences. And yeah, I think when someone's going to be open and honest the way you are, and you, you know, you have had your trials and tribulations, um, but you've also such a positive person. And even if it is difficult, you're writing a book. I mean, I'm quite, you know, in awe that you're writing a book. So thank you so much for taking the time out of all of your notes today to come and chat with us and to share and to help educate people a little bit more. And I'm sure you're going to find some people reaching out to you. Thank you so, so much, Jodie. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this um, episode. I have no doubt that you've enjoyed listening to Kim. I always enjoy chatting to Kim. So if you want to find out more, reach out, as she said, on LinkedIn. And of course, you can always reach out to me as well. Until next time for more Myth Busting, take care, everybody.
Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.